As we continue, we are in the final Sunday of our series on the Beatitudes. We will finish up on Wednesday with Blessed are the Merciful. And that's one we, we all need to hear uh, and is a good one to look at on Ash Wednesday when we kind of try to... We get confused. Do I pile the suffering on myself and make myself miserable for the love of God? That's not, that's not what it's supposed to be about. It's about receiving mercy and offering mercy uh, through the grace we've received from Jesus. Uh, but in any case, we are at Blessed Are the Persecuted. And uh, since you're already standing or sitting, I'll let you stay sitting as we read the gospel together. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Miscommunication. You got this one part? Okay. Next one together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Amen. So a little miscommunication there that I said I'd take over at the sermon, and then I didn't. There we go. Um, the reason that we read those scriptures together is not because we normally read those scriptures together. I say that especially for some visitors we have here. It's because the Beatitudes remind us that the scriptures are not something that we just hear and understand. Okay, I know what that word means. Some pastor even told me that supposedly it means that in the Greek or the Hebrew, and, and I know what that sentence means. But instead, scripture is meant to be experienced in our lives, and we live it out. And the Beatitudes in particular, I don't think we can understand them until we experience them. And so this is one of the ways that we've done that, is to speak those aloud, to recite them, um, and to find that some weeks we need to be the one who is blessing others. Blessed are the poor in spirit, um, because I'm feeling pretty good today, and I've had a good week, and, and I, I knew that God was with me when I got out of bed this morning. And those of you who are very much in a different place, uh, the sufferings that are going on, the losses, the griefs, maybe just uh, woke up and are having a hard time waking up, that sort of stuff hear the blessing for you and offered for you. And the same with all of these. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, um, that we are praying for one another, we are receiving for one, from one another, and we are blessing the, wor the world when we do that. In any case, we are at blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted is a word that is not used very often outside of the church and churchy things. Um, it means just to, to suffer or be harassed on, because of your beliefs. And that can take a whole lot of forms. That could be just kind of social. 
uh, that could be verbal, that could be violence, that could be even up to the point of death, which is what we see in the life of Jesus himself. But literally what it means, it's, it's connected to this other word that, that means to be pushed out. To be pushed out. So you can think of each of these places, it's possible to experience being pushed out of social spaces. Being pushed out of financial spaces, which is what happens in, in some countries. Uh, being pushed out of, of friendships sometimes. Being pushed out of society. Being pushed out of comfort. And out of life itself. Being pushed out. And so we see this very literally a couple times in the scriptures. Jesus he goes back to his home church, not church, home synagogue in Nazareth. He starts to preach. He causes a riot. They try to throw him off a cliff. They drag him out, try to throw him off the cliff. That would be persecution, being tossed off a cliff. Um, thankfully, he gets away. Um, there are other times in the, in the scriptures, especially in the book of Acts, where, where apostles and disciples are dragged out of synagogues, are dragged out of the temple. That, too, would be persecution, that literal physical way. But I think that it's always important to, to think that, well, there are a lot of ways that people experience this. There are a lot of ways that this, this is happening. And the main thing to say about this is I think that one thing we could say for all the Beatitudes, and that we might see particularly in this Beatitude, is that God is in the business of bringing good out of evil, being, bringing blessing out of these places of suffering in our lives. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Just to show just how early it starts, the early witness that I think of, and there might well be one earlier than this. In the book of Genesis, there is a family. Uh, there's Abra Father Abraham, that you might remember from some Sunday school uh, thing, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob. And Jacob is named Israel. The, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, they're all named after the guy named Israel. And Israel had 12 sons, and uh, he played favorites with his sons. Uh, because he played favorites with his wives. And there are, you know, days' worth of things to talk about what's wrong with this whole picture. Uh, but one of his sons was named Joseph, and he, and he kind of believes his press that he gets from his dad. He's not the kindest to his other brothers, but he doesn't deserve what he gets, which is one day he's out in the fields with his brothers, and his brothers take uh, this, this coat that he's known for. He has a really nice... Uh, nice coat that he's been given by his father to show off that he's the favorite son. In case you missed it, I'm the favorite one. Um, so they take his coat, they beat him up, and they throw him, uh, throw him down a well, a dry well that's right there. And then the next day, they, they pull him out of the well, and they sell him into slavery. This is just this extreme, 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 extreme uh, kind, of, kind of evil and suffering that he is experiencing. And then these brothers, they go to the father, and they say, well, he's dead. He was killed by wild animals. We, we found this. Um, they even make their father kind of put together the dots because they, they spill some other animal's blood on it and say, well, we found, we found this, this garment out there. Uh, do you recognize this? And obviously he does because it's this favored son and there's blood on it. They don't lie directly, but they make, make him not understand. And Joseph, meanwhile, the suffering continues. Sold into slavery, taken from his family and from his home. Uh, ends up serving, and as he serves, he's raised up in the household, but he's still enslaved. This is not a free, good life. And then he ends up in jail, and it, he's in jail for years for something he hasn't done. And finally, he gets out of jail, and he's raised up uh, for his gifts that God has given him, raised up over Israel. And what ends up happening is that these brothers, who were just murderous, I guess, towards their brother, who beat him up, who tossed him down a well, who sold him into slavery, now 
they're afraid that after dad dies, that Jacob will have his wrath on them. Because after all, by this point in his life, he's basically second in command of Egypt. He could have them killed. He could have them enslaved. He could have them tortured. He could do all kinds of things to them. But because God remains with Joseph and Joseph remains with God, instead what happens is Joseph says this to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. That is to say, am I in the place of God? Am I the judge? No, I'm not. I'm called to bless. And this really is this, this thing that continues in our lives, but also this God intended it for good. You intended it for harm. God did not tell you to beat me up. God did not tell you to hate me. God did not tell you to sell me into slavery. God did not tell uh, false witnesses against me to lie or to try to harm me. God did not tell people to keep me in prison and forget about me. People did evil to me, but God is doing good, and I will pass that goodness on to you. God is bringing good out of evil. We see this story again and again in the scriptures as we continue through Old Testament and on into the New Testament. And of course, most of all, we see this story in the life of Jesus himself and how he, he, he answers these big questions that we have, and, and, and maybe not in a satisfying way, but but it's, it's the truth. And this is why it's not satisfying. We ask these questions about why there's suffering in our lives or why there's suffering in other people's lives, why there's suffering in the lives of people that don't do anything wrong. Why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? You know, these big questions that we have. And the Christian answer, which again, I say might not be satisfying, is that, is that God looks at the suffering of the world and instead of looking away or instead of erasing people who are doing bad things, God says, I will enter the suffering and I will experience the suffering as a human being. And this really is unique about the, among the world religions or the world philosophies, uh, this idea that, that God, God can suffer because God chooses to suffer. doesn't have to, but, but God enters the world in Jesus Christ. And we see this very, uh, very clearly here in Philippians 2. This is one of the earliest statements, probably one of the oldest texts that's in the New Testament, just this snippet, uh, that, that for a very long time people have read the Bible and they've said, I, we, think, we think this actually was not composed by Paul, but this is a, maybe a creed, of a, a statement of belief, or maybe even a song that is familiar to all the churches, and so he shares a, a verse of a, of a hymn that they know, sometimes like pastors will do. And so this is what he says, though Christ was in the form of God, he did not, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Taking the form of a slave. And so what God could do is nothing. What God could do is... is uh, crumple up this creation and start over. What God could do is enter the world and be a king and take over by power and, and reign in that way. But what God does do is God takes the form of a slave and the subservience of a slave and the suffering of a slave and he dies the death of a slave, even death on a cross as this scripture ends. And so the idea here is that, is that the way that God answers human suffering is that God suffers with us. 
And then any of these places of suffering we find ourselves in our lives, there is God with us. And in fact, God has gone before us. God is, God is faithful to us through these things. Not just if I could just make it through this day or this time or this season or this event that's happening in my life. On the other side, I can be reunited with God. But instead, Christ is with me in all these things as I am passing right through the midst of them. Because Christ has gone to the cross. Thankfully, for all the questions that we have, the early church picked up Jesus' message. They picked up his example and they came to understand that what he was talking about was their future. This is something that, that the church has said for a very long time. Of, of Jesus is by nature what we become by grace. Whatever we see him doing, that's our future. That's what we are called to. How we treat other people, how we love other people, how one day we will die and one day we will be raised from the dead. Everything we see in him will be, will be found in us. And so we see this as the church is trying to figure this out in the book of Acts. So we're kind of making this, this quick uh, trial through the scriptures. We're in Genesis, we're in the Gospels, we're in the letters, we're in Acts. And in Acts, this is the first time the church is trying to figure out who are we to be when Jesus is not among us anymore. If we can't just ask Jesus, what should I do about this? If we can't just listen to whatever he's saying today, Jesus tells them, I'm going to be taken from you. And you're going to be faithful because I've got a gift for you. Acts 1 is this promise between resurrection and his ascension, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the idea is that this is going out like ripples in a pond. Everything happened in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus uh, died. That's where Jesus was raised. That's where they are standing at this point. And then these, these ripples are going out. The next ring out is Judea, which is the, the geography right around Jerusalem. And then Samaria, which is a little bit further out. And ultimately to the ends of the earth. And it turns out that the church experiences that Jesus told the truth. Jesus ascends on this very day that he gives this teaching. He ascends into heaven. And the disciples are kind of upset, but they know he's given them a promise, so they start praying. After, after weeks and weeks of praying, the Spirit comes upon them on the day of Pentecost. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea. Jesus ascends, like he said. The Spirit comes, like he said. They are witnesses in Jerusalem, like he says, and then they kind of stop. And in fact, the way that Luke seems to want us to understand it is that they don't get into the mission until they begin to experience persecution. And that persecution, once again, means that, that literal pushing out. They're pushed out of the nest, pushed out of Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria. And so here in Acts 8, the first uh, Christian martyr after Christ has died, St. Stephen, uh, that day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Here, Jesus just talked about Judea and Samaria. The next time that phrase is in this book, or either of those names are in this book, is after, it's at this point. The first time they get out of the city limits, apparently, is because they're pushed out. And it's not because God sent this persecution upon them. People chose that. People chose that. People chose to, to try to kill the Christians and sometimes did kill the Christians. People chose this suffering and pushing them out and, and 
families disowning people and all this sort of stuff as this is happening. But God brings good out of it. God brings blessing out of this curse. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And by the end of chapter 8, it starts with the death of Stephen. Then they get into Judea and Samaria. By the end of chapter 8, the gospel has been taken to Ethiopia, or at least we know it's headed for Ethiopia, which is in, in uh, south of, of Egypt. And so it seems to be that Luke is telling us, here is the story of the gospel Luke, Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and it's kind of like book one and book two. In book one, I'll tell you about Jesus and how he suffered and died, and he told us this message. Acts, book two, I'll tell you about us and how we spread the message of Jesus and how some of us suffered and died, and we are giving you the message to spread on. That's for us, where we take up uh, that, that, uh, that ministry. And in fact, there have been multiple ministries. There are 28 chapters in Acts. There have been multiple ministries known as Acts 29 because it's speaking into that. How do we live into that? Um, and, and so we see that in the life of the church. And sure enough, as they are spreading out, as they are being persecuted, they find that God is faithful. They find that God is with them when they are cast out of these places. Acts 13, this continues to happen, the persecution that takes place over Stephen. So it's still the same persecution five chapters later. Um, and it's not some long-term thing or doesn't appear to be. Um, but in the same way, if they get to Samaria and uh, Judea, they get to Ethiopia. Now Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, they're headed out across the Mediterranean. Or they're going at least uh, north, south, and west. They'll get to the east eventually. Uh, but we hear about these places and it follows this suffering. Again, 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 I hope you hear, God doesn't send the suffering to them, to the church, any more than he sent it to you. Even Jesus, even though he knew what was going to happen to him, God didn't kill him on that cross. The Romans killed him on that cross. And if you want to think about it theologically, our sins killed him on that cross. Not God's good will to, to save us, but our sins killed him on that cross. And out of the worst thing that has ever happened came the best thing that has ever happened in the story of our lives and the life of the world. And so Jesus is doing this very strange thing that he's proclaiming this thing that is a very old message but is always a new message because it is always hard to receive. For each of these weeks of, of this sermon series, we've said three different things about the Beatitudes. One, Jesus is not saying anything new. Blessed are those who who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Joseph, good, came out of evil. Other people in the Old Testament, good, came out of evil. This is not a new story for God. Two, number two, Jesus is always the one who most fulfills the beatitude. If you want to know what it means to be poor in spirit, we look to Jesus who became poor that we might become rich. If we want to know about the poor in spirit, we look to Jesus who has equality with God and becomes a slave. If we want to know what meek or humble looks like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what mercy looks like, look to Jesus. If you want to look what pure in heart looks like, look to Jesus. And sure enough, we see it once again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the only one for whom it has ever been true that he was fully persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
And the reason I say that is because all the rest of us, there have been you know, thousands, I don't know if there have been millions of Christians that have suffered persecution. I don't know what those numbers are, but I do know that when we suffer for Christ and when Christians do, we tend to have kind of mixed readings, reasons for that. What I mean by that is sometimes we are presenting the gospel and then we have a whole lot of ego with it. And then people are offended by the ego, but not actually the gospel. And we might be at, uh, suffering in our lives because of our, our ego and the stuff that we add to it, but not actually the gospel. Persecution is for righteousness sake. This is what happens in Jesus, who, who doesn't have that. All he has is he is the righteousness of God. He dies as the righteousness of God, as evil trying to kill the good and failing. And so he's speaking of himself, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And I come to wonder that as Jesus eventually goes through his own suffering, if he's, I know as, as one preacher, that I preach things that I need to hear. And I wonder if Jesus did that too. I wonder if as he was headed for the cross or as he was headed toward Jerusalem, as he knew what was coming, speaking into his own heart. Blessed are you when people revile you. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when people utter all kinds of evil against you. This is exactly what happens to him. He is rejected. People make false statements about him. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For me, at least, to read the scriptures and to hear about Jesus is exciting and is inspiring. And to look to him and to see what he does and, and thank God for what he has done and how he went to the cross for me and for my sins. And thank God that he went to the cross for people that, that I don't like and, and if I were in his place, I wouldn't, wouldn't die for. Thank God that he is actually the righteous one for our sake. And thank God for the early church that, that suffered for his name in many places, laying down their lives for Christ and clinging to the name and still spreading the word even after they've been told, don't keep spreading this message. Specifically, again and again, they're told to shut up about the message of God and they keep sharing it and that's what gets them into more trouble. I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired too by the, by the very few stories that I know about the church in various places in the world that continues to be persecuted. Of growing up and, and hearing about uh, Brother Andrew who, who would take Bibles into, uh, behind the, the Iron Curtain and, he, and into China as well and would, would hide them and, and he didn't believe he could lie if he's doing this ministry and so he'd be at the, the checkpoint into a uh, communist nation, opens up his trunk full of Bibles and they wouldn't see him. And they just close the trunk and he's just on his way to go spread them wherever they go. But he's putting his life on the line and he's willing, like, if they catch me, you do not want to be in an Eastern European prison under communism. Or any time, really, but under communism. He's putting his life on the line. And, and uh, Corey Tinboom was, was someone, a Christian, who, who her family had Jews during the Holocaust. There are many like that. Um, Sophie Scholl and her brother that, that stood up to the Nazis and, and ended up dying in a concentration camp, they didn't have to stand on the line. They didn't have to say that Christ stands for something different, that Christ stands for the love of all, but they did. And this is so inspiring to me, inspiring, inspiring, inspiring. And I think sometimes we even say of ourselves that if it came down to that, I think, I think maybe I could do it, at least on, on my best days. 
But I find that sometimes it's harder when it's not the obvious kind of, of big kind of suffering. Deny Christ or die right now kind of suffering. But it's, how do I be faithful to love the people that God has put in my life day by day? How do I be, be kind when I'm too tired or too stressed out? How do I continue to love? How do I, how do I be generous to others when I'm scared about my own finances or, or the economic future of the nation and the world? Or about my own job, how do I be generous and open-handed? How do I, how do I um, love others when they don't love me back? How do I love others that I don't like? How do I forgive others? All these sorts of ways that, are, that we are living out. And so in, in the early churches, they're figuring out slowly that at the beginning it seems like Jesus died and we are following after him. And we see this in the life of Paul. He's just like, my Lord died and I'm going to die for him because that's what the fullness of the faith looks like. And we see this maybe in the lives of other disciples. When Stephen dies, the first martyr, his life, his death actually echoes the death of Jesus. The way that he is arrested, the way that he is, he is persecuted, the way that he uh, says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's showing us this model. But the early church knew what sometimes we don't know which is that even though these persecutions happened in various places, there was never this like massive age of persecution in the Roman Empire. They killed Christians, they did. They had limited times of persecution, they did, but never empire-wide, like sometimes you might hear from faster. Church historians will let us know that, that, that this happened. And what Christians struggled then with is how do I be a Christian and imitate Christ and how do I imitate Paul? And how do I imitate Peter? And how do I imitate Stephen when I know that I'm not going to die for this? And what they did is that they remembered that the word martyr doesn't mean die for your faith. It means witness. And they started talking about this concept of living martyrdom before God. Living martyrdom. A living witness that the things that we go through in our lives day by day, we have the opportunity to be a living witness. And I'm not sure, I can't speak for, for other folks in the United States, but, but we don't experience the same kind of persecution that, that Christians have known in various places and do know today. Places like North Korea and Saudi Arabia and India and China and Pakistan and a bunch of other places where, where Christians do have to hide. Or Christians, when they come to faith, they don't kind of enter into, oh yeah, we're, we're, we understand Christianity, but instead, your family disowns you. Or your family leaves you. Or, or uh, you, can, you can suffer, or you can be caught, cut out of business deals, and all this sort of stuff. All these levels of suffering that we don't know, but we do know. We do know that in Christ, we're united by them and to them. In Christ, we remember them. In Christ, we give for them. We pray for them. And we find as we give, as we pray, the same Christ who is with them. In the sufferings that, that sometimes we say, those are so big that mine don't matter. Christ says, those are so big and I'm with them. You might feel like yours are less, but I am still with you just the same. I want to be with them. I want to be with you. And as we get back and round about to that question of suffering, why? suffering and what's God going to do about it and what has God done about it we do see that what we can never do 
And what we have sometimes done as Christians are, are little streams of Christianity. And sometimes when we get to Lent season, how can I make myself miserable for 40 days? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For righteousness sake. The persecution is not the point. Blessed are those who suffer for righteousness sake. The suffering is not the point. The righteousness is. Jesus puts it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. That's what our goal is day after day in our living witness, our living martyrdom. Not because we make our mar- ourselves the martyrs in the sense of many families have that person that just takes on the suffering, takes on the suffering, yes, 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 doesn't know how to say no, would feel bad if they did. But living witness to Christ, to his righteousness, to his kingdom, and ultimately to life, to life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would set our hearts on your righteousness, which is you. Set our hearts on you. And if suffering comes, may we find it to be true that you are there with us in the midst of it. And in fact, because you have placed us in your church, there are others who are there in the midst of it with us. Help us to know that we are not alone. Help us not just to know, but to experience that we are not alone. And help us to be a people who are sensitive to your spirit, who would have the same eyes of Christ and see the vulnerable among us and in our lives wherever we go. And to say, I see you, and I love you, and God loves you too. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.